Would you find in your Bibles Luke chapter 14? Luke chapter 14, we have a key verse that we're going to look at today in verse 23. And, uh, but you want to keep your Bibles or your smartphones open as we'll be looking at uh, several verses around in those chapters. Appreciate our Young Worshippers Club and participation today and all that they're a part of. Got some more heading out that way. So if you see them going, some of the younger ones heading out to children's worship. And, uh, but exciting times, lots of things that are, that are taking place today. So I want, you to, I want you to notice a couple of things that we're beginning today. Some of you have been familiar the last two or three years. We've been talking about who's your one. And so we're going to kind of uh, up the game a little bit. And we're going to ask for you to be involved in who's your three. And uh, you've got one of these when you came in or there are on the tables if you'd like to get one and uh, in the insert. And this is about praying for lost people, seeking to invite lost people to hear the good news of the gospel and to share your testimony, any or all of those things. And it is, it's kind of been part of our culture around here to begin talking about who's your one. We'll be talking about someone. They'll say, that's my one. See somebody baptized, say, that was my one. This is my one. And uh, we know exactly what you're talking about because we encourage you to, uh, to identify somebody in your circle of influence. Could be a family member or a friend or acquaintance, somebody you work with, somebody that you know who is lost or unchurched. And we're going to encourage you. You see some of these down from the first service today. We want to encourage you as the Lord lays somebody on your heart, somebody you're already praying for. You could be praying for the same person. But uh, from one to three people, you don't have to have all three today, but we want to encourage you maybe to be praying for and to be inviting and encouraging three people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, be in a place to where they can hear the good news of the gospel. So we'll be using that here in just a little bit and, uh, as well. You also had received today as you came in 100 days of Bible reading and prayer, 100 days of Bible reading. We've done this now for a couple of years to where each semester we have 100 days and we're reading through the Bible. And it may be slow for some of you, but uh, if you take those 100 days and read along with us, we'll, we'll have read through the Bible by 2015. Now, don't worry that you maybe did not start off with us when we began this. We started with 100 essential days of Bible reading. Uh, we've uh, had another 100 days, but you can start with uh, the ones where we are now and begin to read those. Now, some of you are rebels and you say, well, I've got my own Bible reading plan. How about this? That's great. We just want you reading the Bible. But there's what it does when we're reading some of the same passages. Sometimes it comes up in our Sunday conversations, Wednesday conversations, or things that are, you know, sometimes in the hallways, or sometimes you just discuss, you know, I was reading, and I was wondering, or this is what I've got, and you're reading some of the same things that others are reading as well. Now, if I were to be real vulnerable to you today, and it probably is just us today, that uh, in each hundred Bible readings for me, it's taken me about 110 days to get through the 100 days. So if you get behind, well, it's okay. It's all right that you catch up in some of those. So we encourage you to be a part of that. And so today, hopefully this will help to be able to encourage that. I want you to take a look at our focal verse today. Luke chapter 14, verse 23, to where we have these words of Jesus. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Keep your Bibles open or your phones at that spot so that you might be able to look at other passages as well. I will tell you, in kind of in keeping with what we're talking about today, uh, back when my daughters were in junior high and high school and I was involved maybe more so with teenagers, I, I made a little bit of a study, not on purpose, but a study on trying to understand the communication of the teenage girl. Sometimes they talk maybe particularly about boys and one would ask the other, do you like him? 
And they'd say, well, I like him, but I don't like him like him. Well, I'm, some of you know exactly what that means. I have no idea. So if they wanted to inquire a little bit further, they'd say, well, have you been on a date? they say, well, it was a date, but it wasn't a date date. And if they really wanted to know, then they would ask even further, say, well, have you kissed? Well, it was a kiss, but it wasn't a kiss kiss. Now, maybe you understand or don't understand that, but I've been telling guys for decades, if uh, she don't like you like you, it's not a date date. You didn't get a kiss, kiss, don't spend no money, money. <laughs> now that communicates. You know that the Lord wants to communicate with us. And he's done so in many ways. The best way and the most efficient way that he communicated to us was by the Son of God, God in the flesh, who came to earth, who lived here a perfect life amongst us, who was, went to the cross and died in our place and rose again communicated his love for us. And he still communicates to us through the Son, but he also communicates to us through the written word. We need to be passionate as a people of God, individuals as a church for a relationship with the Lord Jesus, our relationship, that other people have a relationship, and passionate about the communication of God through his written word so that we might be able to know and so that all the world may know as well. A couple of things I want us to accomplish today. I want you to be involved in the who's your three, whether it's officially that or just being sure that we kind of have a culture here of wanting to win more people to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to be prepared for reading the Bible, whether you're part of a hundred days of reading or your own reading or whatever it is. So you see your notes there. We're going to look at four simple guidelines for understanding the Bible. But as we talk about the Bible and how we might be able to understand it better. We're going to talk about this particular verse and this particular chapter, this event in the Gospels, as a case in point. This is going to kind of be a uh, class and lab work put together. So hopefully, as you listen today, you'll learn a little bit more. We will learn how to read and understand all of God's Word, all the stories of Jesus, in particular, make some application about how we might be able to follow the Great Commission and go and tell others as well. Here's first simple guideline for understanding the Bible. Listen to the background music. Have you ever heard that about Scripture, that you need to listen to the background music of a passage? Well, maybe we're all learning something new. With every Scripture, there's background music. And the more you read God's Word, the more you notice and be able to hear what's going on. In every movie that you've ever watched, there's always been background music, whether you've ever noticed it or not. Guy's walking down the street kind of hurriedly, a city street, and he's about to turn the corner. At the same time, there's an attractive lady that's coming around that corner. She's got bundles in her hands, and she, they both come around the corner at the same time. They bump into one another. Packages go everywhere, and then he, he, they reach down and pick up the packages. Finally, they reach at the same time at the same package, and they look up at one another, and it's love at first sight. And love is a many splendid thing begins to play, or maybe Kelly Clarkson in a moment like this depending on your generation, I guess, starts playing in the background. Another man's hurriedly coming down the street, but only this time it's dark. It's right at dusk. It's, it's the hardly any lights at all coming by, but he says he's about to come to a corner. Instead, there's a alley there. Fog is coming out at the time, and suddenly a dark, sinister hand reaches in and pulls the man into the alley. And then just at that time, the music or the theme music from Nightmare on Elm Street 12 or Armageddon 10.5 or something comes along and, uh, and it sets the tone and the mood. Now which would you more likely pay 40 bucks for for popcorn and a drink and a movie ticket to go? For me it'd probably be more of the second. But you and I are more likely to be interested in understanding if we can hear the background music in the passage. 
I'm convinced that sometimes when we think the Bible seems to be boring or out of date or less attractive, harder to read, is because we don't understand the intent and the mood of the passage. It's the same as saying that we need to understand the context of the passage. Now, not every scripture is to be approached the same way. Solomon wrote wisdom literature that has a different tone than the dramatic stories of Jesus in the four Gospels. The majesty of the Psalms, which brings praise to God, uh, would be read and understood differently than the teachings of the letters of the Apostle Paul. Some of you love history and the great stories of the Old Testament. Some of you, your mouth starts to water if we mention the book of Revelation and you'd love to talk about prophecy every time that we come together. I don't know too many people get your juices flowing when we come to the begots, though. You know what I mean? Adam begot Seth, Seth begot Enish, Enish begot Canaan, and so on and so forth. It's all there for a reason. All of God's word is important. But it helps the approach if you can understand the context and the tone of the passage. For instance, if you're going to participate in the 100 days, you're going to be reading this month and next month from Leviticus and from Luke. What do these have in common besides that they both begin with the letter L? Probably, now more of you would be attracted probably to reading Luke if you're going to be reading something or one of these. And maybe Leviticus would not necessarily be your go-to. But you know, consider Leviticus talks a lot about the sacrificial system of the Israelites. And if you were to begin to read in your 100 days right now, in fact, if you begin today, you finish on Memorial Day. And uh, so kind of just before the summer, then you have another uh, chance of opportunity for setting your own self for reading for the summer. But if you read Leviticus chapter 1 today, very first three verses talks about the unblemished lamb that the Israelites were to bring to the temple. Oh, and because we're New Testament believers, we automatically think about the one who is the unblemished lamb. Jesus, the only perfect sacrifice that sacrificed for us. It's because of Jesus we don't bring sheep to church anymore. It's because of Jesus that we know that we're not going to spend eternity in hell because Jesus took our place on the cross. Now, look at our passage today. Luke chapter 14, also a chapter that you'd be reading in a few days as part of the 100 days. But to hear the background music, you sometimes have to look at what's happening around the passage. Just a few chapters after this, Jesus will be finding himself in his triumphal entry as he comes into Jerusalem five days before the cross. And if you read that particular text, you might see that there's a feast that's happening. There's a dinner, that's, dinner party that Jesus is at. It may seem very festive. But if you look at the very first verse, Luke chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Jesus was being watched. Jesus was invited there so that he might be accused, so that they might be able to arrest or might be able to kill him. Jesus is in this rich Pharisee's home and other religious leaders and experts in the law. He is invited to this banquet, this dinner. It was the Sabbath. And in this chapter, Jesus tells several parables. Now, if you're reading parables, if, if you're ever reading about Jesus' parables, here's a clue for us. If there's ever a Pharisee or a self-righteous religious leader in the vicinity and Jesus tells a parable where... There's somebody that's seen in a darker light. There's a villain in the story. It's almost always the Pharisees, and we want to decide we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We don't want to be like the darker villain. But there they had brought uh, in front of Jesus or there while they were having that dinner on the Sabbath, which seems very odd to me that this would happen. There was a man there who had the dropsy. Now, dropsy's a swelling caused by disease of the liver or the heart is the way I understand exactly what that is. 
And that may be an often occasion that the Pharisees' homes, there's ill people or crippled people there, I don't know. But I really think this was a plant. Let's invite Jesus on the Sabbath and let's see what he does. Because already he had healed people on the Sabbath. But maybe they hadn't seen it on the Sabbath. Maybe this particular group. And so he brings them there. And Jesus sees the man. And before he heals him, he asks these experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Silence. A deafening silence. According to their man-made law, their tradition, they would have said, no, it is not lawful. Then the scripture says that Jesus took the man, he healed him, and he sent him on his way. Even though the man there was used maybe as a patsy for the Pharisees, Jesus still cared for him. He healed him, and he sent him on his way. And then Jesus asked again, if one of you had a son or a donkey or an axe that fell into a well, would you not get him out? Meaning, would you help your ox, but you wouldn't help someone who's crippled or someone who is sick? Again, there was silence. Silent, a deafening silence, except maybe for some background music because things were getting tense and Jesus broke the silence. He noticed that as they came in, they all jockeyed for position to sit at the best place at the table. So Jesus said, well, suppose if you come to a wedding feast, he said, don't go and find the best seat in the house. He said, and find go lower seat because if you find the best seat in the house, the host may come to you and may cause you to go so somebody more important may sit there and you may have to go to the lowest seat. He said, go to the lowest seat in the house and then the host may come and he may find a more important seat for you. Oh, well, they were all about being honored to be important. In fact, Jesus said, then you will be honored before all the others at the banquet. He was speaking to them in a tone that they could relate to for they like to be honored. Do you think Jesus ever used sarcasm? I'm going to tell you that he did. I'm seeing more and more of it. Jesus was being sarcastic here to these people. He, he was not, because they knew nothing of humility. And that doesn't matter whether you sit at the back of the room or wherever you sit in the room, but if you're sitting in somewhere to be honored, even if you're trying to look humble, it's not the same thing as humility. But he had his audience. He knew his audience. He had them right where he wanted them. And so he said this basic principle of his kingdom. The one who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. But they knew nothing of humility. Then Jesus turned to the host. Now notice as we're reading, and you want to do this in your passage, especially with Jesus, who's he talking to? Now when he talked about where you should sit and about humility, he was talking to all the guests. But then it says that he turned to the host, the one that invited him, though not for the best of reasons. Look at verses 12 through 14. We're in, John, in Luke 14. Verse 12 said, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You think they liked what Jesus was saying? You know how we know that they did not like what Jesus was saying? Because after this, they even began to plot more about how they might be able to arrest and to kill Jesus. Was Jesus just trying to be obtuse? Maybe just show them a thing or two and be antagonistic? No, he was not. There's a movie that came out some years ago, I mean, not too long ago, that was in the theaters about Winston Churchill. and I didn't see it either, but I understand from Winston Churchill that he, did, he loved to have debates. He 
He was just a great debater. Even at dinner parties and such, he would have debates. And one particular dinner party, he's having a debate with one of the aristocratic women of England. They were going back and forth about something. And finally, the woman said to Mr. Churchill, Sir, if I was your wife, I would poison your tea. To which Churchill said, If I was your husband, I would gladly drink it. Well, Jesus was not trying to win a war of words. In fact, I believe that Jesus loved the Pharisees just as he loves you and me. And he wanted to warn them because here are the ones who were supposed to be directing God's people and he was warning them that they were taking them in a different direction opposite of what God wanted or what pleased God. It would take them to direction away from heaven and toward hell. And he uses the tone here of telling them the truth. But nevertheless, the tone of the mood of the feast was tense, anger, and judgmental of the dinner guest. Tense, anger, and judgmental of the dinner guest. How, how can you find the mood of each text as you read and study? Some are easier to find than others, but sometimes it takes more than a casual reading of God's Word. It should be read prayerfully and carefully and thoughtfully. Move in to a passage and let it settle in your heart. But if you do that, you'll hear the music that makes it more exciting and interesting. And the more interesting it is to you, the more you're likely you are to come back to it again and to be able to make the proper application and be able to understand it. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. said, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. We want to be able to handle accurately the word of truth. Don't be afraid that you might get it wrong. Do come to every word in Scripture humbly. Lord, what can you teach me? But ask the Lord for help, maybe even others for help as well in order to be able to understand. But here's a second guideline, simple guideline. Look for the big picture. If you're going to understand and apply the Scripture you want to study, you must see the main lesson of the text and not let the big picture get lost. You cannot make the Scripture say anything that you want it to to make it fit what you'd like for it to say or your particular situation. There's a tended lesson for every story in the text, everything that you read, and we need to understand what was the intention, who said it, to whom it was being said, and to be able to, uh, what was the intent for the original hearers or the original readers of what's going on, and that way we discover the intent and the lesson for us today. In our focus verse for today, verse 23, it was said as a part of a parable. It was the parable about the excuses that people give who were invited to Jesus. In this case, invited to a banquet or to a feast. Or to a feast. It was not intended to teach that God closes the door on anyone who wants to come in. Nor was it to be used to coerce people into coming in. A few centuries after Jesus told this parable, it was the church of Rome and maybe even the church of England that were using this parable in this passage to use what they would say to compel people to become members of the church or to become quote unquote Christians. In fact, they would use things like uh, the rack, thumbscrews, threat of death and imprisonment if they didn't join the church. Well, my goodness, if people don't join the church today, we just don't speak to them at Dollar General or Walmart. No, that's not true. We need to do the very opposite, you understand. But it's an example of what can happen, how we might misapply, misunderstand the meaning if we're not looking for the big picture. In fact, today, many people come and they're looking for the secret parts of the Bible or the secret code that may be there. Uh, and what we need to do is to be 
look for the most obvious lessons. And when I come and I read my Bible, I want to be sure that I always have a pen and piece of paper handy just in case God wants to tell me something. And guess what? He almost always does, or he does always want to tell me something. And I might want to write it down, and I want to remember it. And as we come to God's Word, uh, on a consistent basis, we're more likely to be able to understand and see what God has to say to us. If you come to God's Word haphazardly, that is every now and then, certainly God can speak to you. But if he has something personal that he wants to continue to tell you, then it is when we come to God on a more systematic and a continual basis. I believe that every time we come into this service today, come into worship, it is my prayer that we're looking at the passage, the message that is particularly that the Lord intended for those who would be here today. He knows who's going to be here. He knows what we need and that the Lord is using that very thing for this particular occasion, these particular people, because we've gathered together. And I believe that happens also in our passage today. Let's try to do it in this passage. We, we read where Jesus has this conversation with these religious leaders. Jesus is doing more of the talking, but one of them speaks. He says in verse 15, Blessed is everyone who eats at the bread in the kingdom of God, or at the feast in the kingdom of God, depending on your translation. Piously says this. Now the feast or to eat bread was an Old Testament metaphor of what would take place when the kingdom of God came into the world. And they took it very literally. They thought the Messiah would come and he would take care of all of their oppressors, win all of their wars. There would be a great celebration and there'd be a great feast and they would be invited. Now the problem was not that they took it literally, but they thought they would be invited because they were of the Jewish faith and because they were of the elite leaders. It might be like somebody saying today, everybody like us goes to heaven. It's no so, not so far from saying it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, but we know it does matter what you believe. So in the midst of this tense dinner party, assertively and courageously, Jesus told this parable about a banquet where many had been invited the preparations had been made, and as was customary in that day, the servants went out to tell the guests that everything is now ready and now you can come. But they began all to make excuses why they could not come. And they gave examples here of what the, some of the excuses were. One said, well, I've bought, uh, I've bought some land. I've got to go check out the land that I've bought. Another said, well, I've, uh, I've bought some oxen. I've got to go try out the oxen that I've bought. It seems to me weak excuses while... Most people probably do not go see the land. They see the land before they bought it or look at the oxen or even a used car and then go and check it out. A third excuse they used of being a newlywed. Not much could be said about good and bad excuses. Excuses and excuse. You know, we had our marriage enrichment conference this past weekend and talked a lot about marriage and spouses and families. And one of the things that we continue to stress and Ben did last week is the fact that if you want to do what's best for your spouse, you want to do what's best for your family, you'll make Jesus the priority. The one and only priority, and it's the only way that we can be sure that we're doing what is best as well for all. And according to verse 21 in the parable, the master was not very happy with those who rejected the invitation and invited those in the streets and the alleys, the undesirables of the city. He calls them the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And all these accepted the invitation and there was still room for more. And the master told the servant, servant, go into the highways and the hedges or into the roadways, which is a reference to outside of the city. Meaning to the original audience, to the Jewish 
Pharisees, others who were there at the dinner party to go outside the city, they understood what Jesus was talking about. Go to the Gentiles. Compel them to come in. Persuade them to be a part of the kingdom, part of the banquet of the feast that's taking place. Read verse 24. For then he said, For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Well, all those that Jesus was talking to, they knew what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, if they believed Jesus, that they would not be part of the feast or the banquet unless they followed and believed in him. Now, this idea of the feast or a banquet is not just an Old Testament metaphor understanding, but in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9, for all you Revelation people, it says, Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. So what's the big picture? It's not just a lesson about inviting everyone to church, though that's okay. Not even about becoming a church member. Does the Lord want his house to be full? Literally, yes, obviously. But that's not the intent of this parable. Main point of the story, the stories told by Jesus was that the kingdom of God, while available to everyone, is not automatic. It is for those who humbly respond to the invitation by Christ. The kingdom of God and sitting in a church service are not equivalent. The kingdom is made up of people who are part of the family of believers whose Savior is Jesus. Those who have responded to the invitation, it's not just a future event, but it's a banquet that has begun right now as you walk with Jesus. Once we understand, you can make correct and needed applications, such as, church, we must be intentional in being sure that we're inclusive in the fact that we love all people and we want all people to come to know Jesus. We must be sure that we love people, all people. We've got to fight against ever having a country club or cliquish mentality. And we've got to practice that among ourselves. And that's got to spill out into the rest of the world as we go into the world. You know, the guideline for us is, this is the lessons are for the believer. The lessons are for the believer. doesn't mean the word of God does not have power to save. And we know many of course, and we want to give scriptures to those who don't know Christ and people can come to know Jesus through the power of the Word. But when reading and studying God's Word, you want to see that the lesson's for you. The one who's a follower of Christ, you want to make it personal. As if the story you're reading is exactly what God had intended for you to read at that moment in time. If, you, if We understand if, when you read God's Word and you come to it and you begin to read it and understand this is for me today. And I need to make application today. I need to understand it so I can make correct application. Do you see yourself in any of this story or these stories? Uh, basically, three groups of people in the world, as we relate it to Luke chapter 14. There are those who reject the invitation to come to Jesus. There are those who accept the invitation to come to Jesus. And there are those who might accept the invitation to come to Jesus if they are invited. Which group are you in? Have you yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? You may be in that first group because you've, you've heard the good news of the gospel probably if you're here today or even if you're listening online, you understand that you've been told Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's by His grace that we are saved through faith. We need to ask Christ to forgive us of our sins. So if you're on the outside looking in, you, we invite you today to become a part of the body of Christ, come into the family of God. Maybe you've accepted the invitation, part of what we call in that group too, but you're thinking, aren't these the poor, crippled, lame, and blind? Well, that's not me, is it? 
Yes, it was you before you accepted Christ. It was you. You were the spiritual paupers, religiously crippled. When it came to holiness, we were lame. We were blind to godly things. Until we accepted that free invitation of the Lord saved us and made us whole. Fourth guideline is this. Let it change your behavior. Got an L and a B thing going on here, but you want it to change you. You want to transform your life. God's desire is that His Word will truly cause you to be more like Jesus. That every time we read it and study it, it will shape us to be more like Jesus. But the change we recognize in behavior comes because we've been changed on the inside and the Lord has changed our heart. And to hear and understand God's Word, you must get your heart right through confession of sin, willingness to submit and follow Him. Then as you read God's Word, you can begin to hear the background music. You can find the big picture of what the main lesson is. And then you can take that lesson and make it understand what the Lord has particularly for you today. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word, the Lord said, that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Third group we talked about a moment ago, those who might receive, might accept if they were invited. Many who will respond if we ask them to come. So I'm going to ask you today, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're part of that third group. You're ready to respond. If somebody asks, I'm going to ask you today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, accept Jesus today. Put your faith in Him. Ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. But it also reminds us that there are people out there who are ready to receive Jesus. And we want to be ready to share with them the good news of the Christ. We want to be like the servants in that last parable that we talked about that we're told by the master, go out quickly and ask them and compel them to come in. How can we make a difference? How can it be making a difference in our life? Having identified myself in one of the groups, I will. Notice we've made it personal there. I will accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're part of that first group, you've rejected Christ. I'll be more thankful if you have accepted Christ. I'll serve enthusiastically. These are examples of what you can answer, and I will go and invite others because there are those who will accept Jesus. Speaking of Super Bowl commercials, listen, I was glad to watch a game last week that was more interesting than the commercials, but they used to, we couldn't talk during the commercials, but you could during the game, but several years ago, there was a Super Bowl commercial. FedEx ran the commercial uh, kind of as a uh, spoof, the movie Castaway. Remember Tom Hanks was the FedEx agent that ended up on a deserted island, saved one package. Well, in the commercial, they have a character playing like he's the bedraggled Hanks in the movie. And, and uh, he goes up to the door after being on a deserted island for five years. And he knocks on the door of a suburban home and knocks on the door and explains to her, said, this package was supposed to come to you five years ago, but I've been on a deserted island. And... Uh, but I wanted to get it to you. And the person says, thanks. He was kind of curious about what's inside the package. So he said, could you see what's inside? And she opens it up. And she said, oh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. <laughs> Let's stop living like we're living on a deserted island and don't have what we need. 
putting an SOS out there and hoping maybe God will see it sometime. But instead, let's get in on what God is doing, what He wants to do in our individual lives and what He wants us to do in the kingdom that we might be able to be servants of Him and that we might be able to reach more people for Christ because He's given us all the resources that we need for growth and everything we need for a spiritual feast. From these verses, let's define the Christian life. Time spent with the Lord and His Word, serving with believers, inviting others to know Him is biblically compared to a feast or a banquet. Will you come to the feast? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Thank you for the invitation that you have given us. For all those who are believers in Christ, it is because we have been invited. It's not through anything that we have done, not because we were good people, but simply because you loved us. And you gave us the invitation to be able to come and accept Christ. And today, Father, for those who may be listening or even here today that do not know Christ or maybe they are unsure, may they know today that the invitation is being sent by the God of this world, Savior of all, who wants to have a relationship. If there's someone here who doesn't know Christ, may today be the day of their salvation, that they ask Christ to forgive them and ask Christ to be Savior of their heart and their life. We pray, Father, that we might be ready to be passionate about having a relationship with Jesus and have others having a relationship with Jesus, about studying God's Word so that we might be able to apply it and we may point other people to you as well. We thank you for how you're going to continue to be at work in this worship service. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And would you please stand? This invitation, this time of commitment that we have today, uh, we encourage everybody to take part in some way. It may be that you need to come giving your heart and life to Christ. Maybe you already have and you've seen people baptized today and you know that you need to be baptized. Maybe you want to join the church. You become part of the Parkway Baptist Church family. You come talk to me, one of our ministers sitting down here at the front and we'll be glad to tell you whatever next steps are. But also, we want to encourage you to be a part of the Who's Your Three. Maybe you don't have three right now. That's okay. You could write one, two, or three. You don't have to necessarily write their names, but you may want to write their initials down. We're going to be praying for all those who have laid cards down and all those who will lay cards down. We're going to be doing this for the next couple of weeks. We're going to leave the cards here, and anyone can come and pray for these as well to remind us that we need to be a people who are on mission. So let me encourage you, write names on both sides, the same name, and then once you do that, you want to tear it apart. And then you want to leave one here at the altar. And you want to put one someplace where you will be reminded uh, as well. So we encourage you to do that very thing, even perhaps as I am. And as we sing here in just a moment, it may be that during that time, as the Lord leads, you may want to come lay that on, lay one half of this on the altar. Maybe a brief prayer, long prayer is okay too, and pray for these. And what are we doing? We're committing to pray for lost and unchurched, seeking to invite so they might be able to hear the good news of the gospel and looking for opportunity to share testimony. One to three people, if you'd put that down. You really want to be involved? You don't know anybody. The Lord's not laying anybody on your heart. It's okay. You can be involved today. You may just want to write, I'm praying the Lord will give me somebody or three people that I can be praying for this year. 
encourage you to do that very thing. As we sing together, you come.